For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a journalist confronts her family's darkest secrets, but her investigation opens fresh wounds in already fractured relationships. We'll review the HBO documentary, Great Photo, Lovely Life. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hola, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's edition of the podcast. It is. What is coming up on Monday's program? Christmas is coming up. Oh, (gasps) is Christmas on Monday? It is. Oh. But also... I have no sense of the passage of time. None. (laughs) You know what else is coming up then? What? What is uh, seven days after Christmas? Exactly seven days after Christmas. Are you talking about our anniversary? Yes, Kevin. What one is this? What one is it, Kevin? 100. It's our 14th anniversary. 14th wedding anniversary, yeah. You know what that means? Uh, Bamboo. Bamboo is the 14th. No, you know what that means? No, I have no idea what that means. That as of this coming year... You and I will be married longer than you were married to your first wife. Oh. High five. We made it. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't jump the gun on this. Yeah. I still reserve the right. Does this mean that like your extended family will no longer call me your new wife? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) They still refer to you as my current wife. Oh, that's true. But on Monday's show, we got to actually, it's a big week for us. It's one of my favorites. We're going to be doing our best of. 2023 on Monday we're going to be talking about the best podcast from 2023 and then on Thursday show the best television of 2023 I've seen some of your picks already and it's going to be great because we are like all over the place our favorite reviews of the year right yeah 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 Yeah, our favorite reviews of the year so yes I had to tell Ronald Young Jr. I'm like our best of lists usually comprise things we've reviewed on the show so I'm sorry wait for it won't be on the list yeah we're gonna be disciplined that is bullshit like (laughs) well that was my number 12 pick it's like no Be a grown-up. You get 10 picks. Yes. You had all year to think about it. But Ronald and I were- Get um, the assignment. Ronald and I were texting about somebody's lists, somebody in the industry, and how we believe they have- bad taste and <laughs> like perennially bad taste and you know Ronald's podcast is, is ending up on a lot of lists yeah and his was not the only really good podcast I did not end up on this person with bad taste list uh-huh. and I was like yeah it's really awful this person has really bad taste and then I was like oh shit Ronald I have to break it to you. your podcast isn't going to be on my list either because we only do podcasts we reviewed on our list typically so yeah. So anyway, that's what's going on. I'm so excited about it. I was thinking about that the other day, actually, and that there's a lot of podcasts that I think we like that either because in some cases you're involved in, you know, NHPR type podcasts 
or they're podcasts by people we're friends with, but they're not the kind of podcasts we would actually review that we don't mention. And I don't know if people know that we like them. Can we do that on the after show? I think our alternative picks on the after show would be great. Yeah. Why don't we do that on the after show? Why don't we talk about the podcast that would be on our list if if we could talk about them on the show? There you go. There that you sounds go. like a good plan. Who has time to listen to other podcasts? Oh, <laughs> well, you can talk about other shit in the show, Lara. You, you about- watch a lot of TV, I bet, that yes. we haven't been able I to do. do. Yeah. Yes, okay, do. great. Well, that's why we have a plan. I'm yeah. so excited about our plan. All right. Well, I am super excited to talk about the thing we're talking about this week. So can we just Buckle get right up. to it? Buckle up. Oh, you just did your Twins the New Trend. Buckle up. Mimed, like grabbing the seatbelt, pulling it in. Oh, yeah. Buckle up, people. Let's go ahead and get that done and leading off and drop our first clip right now. And uh, we were very close sexually, even though she was little. And she loved it. Can I ask how old she was? She started, I think, started around the age of nine through 11. International photojournalist Amanda Mustard returns home to pursue an open family secret. As her grandfather Bill Flickinger nears the end of his life, Amanda investigates his decades of the sexual abuse he inflicted on his young chiropractic patients. The day of the incident, he told me, you can trust me, I'm a doctor. Oh my God. That's how he got me. Mustard looks at how Flickinger avoided accountability for decades and reaches out to her grandfather's many victims. They include her mother and sister, but the effort to find forgiveness between them threatens to tear the family apart. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. It makes me feel like the very best thing is just packing everything up and just never talking to anybody again. In the raw HBO original film, Great Photo, Lovely Life, Mustard chronicles her family's story, seeks to empower survivors, and confronts the fallout that facing family trauma head-on can bring. Viewers are presented with home movies, boxes of mementos, and intimate conversations aimed at disrupting a cycle of abuse, blame, and anger. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about significant plot points from Great Photo, Lovely Life. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time cone in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Laura, one of the first scenes of this documentary, after we sort of meet Amanda and she's moving back to Pennsylvania, is this interview where it is revealed why it is she and her mother are talking with the grandfather. After seeing that all the people in the nursing home where he is comfortably living love him, He very openly talks about his encounters with children and his molestation of children. What was your reaction watching that scene? Well, I think this is just so well done. And I think that sets you up for knowing this is going to be an authentic documentary. It is not going to be sugarcoated. It is going to be raw. It is going to be real. And I think... What he says at that point, he says, they seemed like these little girls, for example, would just throw themselves at me. And I don't know the answer to it, but it seemed like that some of these little girls, for example, would almost throw themselves at me. Now, that might sound a little stupid, but they wanted to learn things and they were experimental. They want, you know, and to me, it was too much of an open temptation. And then he says... We had quite an engagement, so to speak. We were very close sexually, even though she was little and she loved it. And then the granddaughter, 
Amanda, who is making this documentary, says, well, how old was she? And he's like, oh, like nine. And you're like, oh, fuck. But I think it sets up how difficult a story this is going to be to navigate. Because here you have what looks like, in the beginning, her grandpa. He's so happy when they come to the door in his little retirement place. But you realize that he is still just so flawed in his worldview that he thinks that is an okay thing to say. And I think it sets up what's a very accurate portrayal of the type of person that you are going to see committing those types of crimes in a way that we don't often see because those people don't often go on camera and talk about their crimes. So I think, you know, right off the bat, this is going to be a different type of documentary. Toby, one of the things that really struck me was the approach, right? Because Amanda clearly knew and her mother clearly knew, like, you know, this is what we're going to, this is why we're going, this is what we're going to do. But the interaction with grandpa was like, they also knew he was going to be very casual about it. So it was not a confrontational, gotcha style, aha, I don't know. There was something about it that made, to me, made it more of a gut punch, not just as a viewer, like we weren't 100% sure what we were going to get, but like the fact that they, they, they knew what they were going to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, you know, the assumption I had at least is that he's been very open about it at least recently. So they knew when they showed up with the camera that he wasn't going to suddenly clam up or, or, or try to wriggle his way out of it. And it's throughout the whole movie. It's like one of the, the troubling things is that he's not self-reflective enough or empathic enough or any of these things to understand that what he did was wrong, that he, you know, he's still justifying it, not a kind of you've backed me into a corner kind of way, but in a, well, that's just the way it was. And then it was fine. Not was, is. Or is. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it continues. He's on camera but, being disgusting and he, he tries to molest two kids in the nursing home. And he's like fondly remembering it. That's what's so like mm. just fond, like a fond memory. But I, I again, I don't think he's like, he, he can probably say things about regretting it or whatever, but I think it doesn't seem like he's processed all this stuff as being wrong. You know, and it's one of those, like maybe society doesn't look at it, but like, they don't get it. Like, yeah. I understand how this works and, and it's fine. So Kevin, what do you think about Amanda? Because oh. she is obviously the central figure of this whole thing. Love her. Love her. Totally taken with her foot tattoos. Uh, <laughs> That's do you notice like one, one's like Eastern Hemisphere, one's in yes. Western Hemisphere. Yes. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, but, but beyond that, of course, super brave, admirable. I mean, it, it takes guts to do a the kind of work that she does as a photojournalist, but it takes a lot of personal character to do this kind of work. And it feels like, you know, she's not just doing it for the victims. She's doing it for her mother and her sister, and she's doing it for herself. And you know, kind of raises questions like, well, what does one do with this information? With If you know that your grandparent was a rapist or a child molester or something like this, do you need to atone? How do you do that? How do you make things right in the world? Is it your place? It's really not necessarily your place. But would you not feel compelled to do something? And what would that be like? You know, this isn't just her going, you know, with a camera and trying to kick in doors and stuff. Part of this process is to reach out to survivors and try to offer them a medium in which they could heal and maybe hear 
an apology that they never got if that's the thing that they want. And that also includes, you know, a healing process for her mother and her sister. And that ends up being a lot more complicated than we probably thought it would be. See, the way that I look at that, this is, and I don't know if this was, was it what Amanda intended, but this is so important. I can't believe people don't talk about this all the time. I can't believe this isn't something people are talking mm-hmm. about, making films about, making television shows about. It's always like a very special episode of some TV show and then it never fucking comes up again. But like one in three kids gets touched by somebody growing mm-hmm. up. One in three, one in four. I mean, they say one in four, which means it's probably one in three. I mean, I've heard both statistics and it, it could be even more. This is one of the most common crimes that is committed in the world, mm-hmm. period. And it's so wonderful how this film just like tackles it head on and also tackles head on how it is that it happens. The reason that it happens is because people let it happen and people think that it's going to stop happening and it doesn't. And people think that the person's going to stop doing it and they don't. And then when it happens again, as it does while she's making this fucking film, the solution isn't to call the cops and put the guy in prison. The solution is to move him somewhere else. Like we watch it in real fucking time. And it is like so important just to like make things about this topic. And this is just so like well made. And it it also shows like the way people and families are like, oh, like don't talk about it and do talk. And this is why Debbie is such a fascinating character in this, right? Because Debbie was a victim, Mm -hmm. but Debbie also was responsible for creating more victims. So Laura, I am very conflicted about my feelings about Debbie I know. Debbie, though, partners with Amanda. I mean, this, by the way, I learned on the website this was an eight-year project. So what we saw as a one film, this actually was an eight-year process. Oh, wow. Yes. So this was a long cycle that we saw condensed into one film. But Debbie at the beginning is very much Amanda's partner here. And then... Obviously, things change as we learn about Angie, Amanda's sister, and what happened to her. And Debbie's not protecting her, but in fact, putting her into that situation. But how do you feel about Debbie? Like, how do you feel about the beginning, for instance? And then how did that evolve? Well, that's a good way to put it, Rebecca, because I think in the beginning, I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty remarkable that Debbie is taking part in this, especially when you hear that this is a family that didn't talk about anything, like literally anything. Like when Debbie was a kid, and he got in trouble, like nobody talked about, like literally did not talk about it. Even amongst themselves, the siblings didn't talk about it. So I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to commend her for, you know, being willing to take part in this documentary and to talk about it and to partner with Amanda, her daughter on this. I was so, I was so nervous doing this. Oh my gosh, I was more nervous. I think I was so nervous I wanted to throw up. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know what his... Reaction would be, I thought, because of his anger, I thought he would just... But he's never really been angry with you. That you've seen. That I've seen. Mm -hmm. As it goes on, you start to see how hard it is for somebody like Debbie, who has been in that particular pattern in her family dynamic. It's really hard to change family dynamics, even with like, you know, years of professional therapy. And you can see her falling back into the, like, not wanting to talk about things and sort of clamming up. And then when you hear about Angie and Angie was sent to go stay with the grandparents in the motorhome and things happened, 
and then you know that Angie was sent to go stay in the motorhome and things happened in the context of Debbie also having been a victim. You're thinking like, how could she send her daughter into this? But it's like this head in the sand that is like, we want to blame Debbie for doing this. But at the same time, I think like I took a step back and I'm like, let's think about this pattern that her family has been in for her entire existence. That's really, really hard to change. And I'm not saying what she did was right, but I'm also acknowledging that like, that's a very real dysfunctional family pattern that is hugely ingrained. And so even when you hear Angie talking about when Debbie tells her grandpa went to prison for molesting kids and she says to Angie, well, did he ever do that to you? And Angie says, mm-hmm. And then Debbie walks out of the room. And now Angie's upset because Debbie hasn't done anything to support her. But Debbie actually asking if something happened is already different than what happened when Debbie was growing up. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. For me, it was just a, a really fascinating, but very real case study, like of how family dynamics play out when you have somebody in the family that is doing something like this. Going back to the wife who was not even her real name, wasn't even used, but like Wild. the wife who knew what was happening and sent Angie the letter, but then again, never did anything to change anything and covered up for years. So it's, it's very easy from the outside to look in and be like, why aren't these people doing anything? But you have to like, that's all they have ever known. Yeah. And there's like a whole analogy about people like that, that compared to like a fish that's in like dirty water. And you're like, that fish is in that dirty water. And we're going to put that fish into the clean water. And then the fish like jumps back into the dirty water. You're like, what the fuck's wrong with that fish? Well, that's what it knows. So I, I think it was a really interesting examination of, of family dynamics. What do you think, Toby? I know that you had some thoughts about Debbie as well. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, you know, she's both victim and sort of enabler by default, I guess, in that she's just not taking its good care of especially Angie around her father as she really needs to. She kind of trusts her mom to do it. And it's like, well, your mom didn't do much for you. So why do you think it's going to be different with this? But, you know, I think, I mean, my sense was that she thought that Angie would have more sympathy for her as like an also being a victim and that that's something they have in common rather than being the reason for her victimization. It's obviously, it's a tragic situation all the way around. And, and I think as Laura was getting at, it's being a victim of that changes the way you think about things and the way you can sort of conduct yourself. And, you know, I think part of the trauma of being abused was not being able to make good decisions, particularly once you get like a little bit of independence and you've got some control over like what happens with you, like sort of, I guess, reveling in that or just embracing that. But you also have a kid. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. And I, you know, I feel badly for her while at the same time, her justifications for it after the fact seem very, very naive. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, like a lot of this, a lot of this, there's like no easy way to just make a statement and have it be true because there's just so much undergirding everything. Yeah. I'm also conflicted about Debbie. I, I don't feel like it's my place to really say that she, that she, you know, when she says my only option at the time was to move back in with my parents, I th imagine 
that there are actually other options, but that's what she said. But the idea that, you know, she could get her mother to swear to God that she'll protect Angie, it's like your mother couldn't protect you. And so it's a tragic miscalculation, but also completely foreseeable, completely foreseeable that that was going to happen. And Laura, you're saying, you know, at the beginning, Debbie's like 100% in, like in on this project, like completely into it. And you're almost surprised. It's like, mom is like, like not going to push back when a little bit. Dies. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, she's 100% in. And then when they have this discussion with Angie, she's 110% out of it. And it's complicated, right? Because she is a victim, but she was also an enabler, whether she wanted to believe so or not or intended or not. And so it becomes really complicated because you end up taking on a lot of guilt and feeling put upon and like I can't and and understanding that it's a huge thing that cannot be undone. And so you're frustrated whether they're accusing you or they're just bringing it up because they want closure and they want understanding in a therapeutic way. It becomes really difficult. And this is like a perfect example of why a lot of times survivors do not come out to their family, right. whether the abuser is within the family or not, because they understand how destructive it could possibly be to the dynamics with the people in the family, right? Just the sheer weight of it is almost like a, a re-victimization. And so it's hard to sometimes come at that with humility and grace. And so it is with humility and grace that I'm asking to transition to the business section. To the business section. There's no good way to do it. There's no way to do it, which is why I'm. It I'm, just has to happen. It just it's the has to happen. Show. I'm asking for your grace. Yes, be be humble, Kevin. Just you just tell them what's on our Patreon. Okay. We'll get back to this conversation. All right, you go to patreon.com/slash partners in crime media. You can get all sorts of great stuff. You can get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, where she investigates mysteries, or at least mysteries to her in her quaint AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. We've got Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby gets together with a great panel and they look at usually something non-fiction, crime-related, but also have done some mysteries. And and so we're kicking off January with a new book. Toby, what are you going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about The Angel Makers, Arsenic, a Midwife, and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murder Ring by Patty Release the McCracken. I don't know much about this other than it takes place in Hungary and apparently it's referred to in deadlock that show that's on you know Britbox or acorn or something oh that's an awesome show yeah that's an, one of my favorite shows of last year well there you go uh we also have our married with podcast podcast and uh, the crime writers on after show all sorts of great stuff more than 450 exclusive podcasts holy shit get. Ad pay. I know they just keep piling up. We need to make some more Mary podcasts. We make so many podcasts there you know the fact that you support us it's a great gift to us because it benefits us to keep all these things coming, but it is also a great value. So if you want to consider it, you're purchasing something rather than you're just helping us out, you're getting a great deal either way. You are. Also, uh, we have the latest episode of These Are Their Stories. Right? Well, you mentioned Ronald Young Jr. Yes. He's our guest. He's so funny. And we're talking about a classic episode of SVU. It's called Blinded. It's when some guy like throws Stapler's head through a car uh, window and yes. he goes blind. And Ronald Young for Junior, two commercials, yeah. Ronnie Young Jr. asserts that Olivia Benson is the most corrupt cop in NYPD history. Yeah, well, it starts like with uh, this kid who's like uh, apparently trapped in a trunk, but they don't know what car it is, and so they just start smashing stuff. 
It was like they were breaking windows of cars that didn't even match the description of the car they were None. looking for. That's they were right. getting they were getting something off their chest, man. An Impala. Oh, a Miata. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just want to let you know also that you can sign up for our free newsletter. It's at crimewriterson.com. Give us your email address. Every Thursday, you get an update with reviews, crime of the week, pet of the week. Pictures of our house. We're not putting pictures of our we, house. Sometimes it's pictures like personal photos of us, like at home. Yeah. So there's pictures of our house. That's oh, what I mean. Like okay, not pictures right, of right. our house, but like pictures of us in our house. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I get a lot of emails like, what kind of countertop is that? And I'm like, how do you know my account? Like, from your newsletter. That's stupid. <laughs> I love it. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Colleen Hazel and Liz Carter. Bless you. Bless you, Colleen. Bless you, Liz. Bless you, everybody who supports us on Patreon and those who are going to start doing that after listening to this humble business section. <laughs> Thank you very much. Kevin, I think I want to go back right back to the show now. What do you think? How about we uh, end the business action? I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or a random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. I just want to say one thing about Debbie before we move on, the mom. Yeah. I can't believe she didn't predict that that confrontation with Angie wasn't, was going to happen. Like, how did she not think that was going to happen? Like, she acted so surprised when Angie was mad at her. I was like, you can be both a victim and, and have your daughter be upset with you at the same time. Like, both yeah. things can be true. I kind of felt like she, like part of it was she thought that this project they did, there was a bad guy, right? Yeah. And it was her dad. And I think when suddenly it was like, oh, like I've been working on this thing all this time and I'm one of the bad guys. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. screw that. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Bonnie. Um, she's another victim that gets brought into the story. She was a victim of Bill's when she was a child and she was a chiropractic patient. And she goes with Amanda on this journey where she actually goes back to the chiropractic office, which is owned by the same people who owned it when Bill worked there. And they do something really strange, in my opinion, with Bonnie in that they ask her to pray with them. You heal our mind, you heal our body, you heal our spirit. Yes, you're the healer, Lord. Lord Jesus, yes. you will take my sister and you'll pour yes, your love Jesus. and yes. your yes, Jesus. Love, yes. love, love into her yes. mind, body, and spirit. Yes, and Let Lord. there be a release and a power of forgiveness. And one of my favorite moments from the whole film, Amanda looks at the camera the what the fuck look like? <laughs> a little bit of a ride. Can you imagine I'm doing this? <laughs> Can you believe they're making her do this shit? <laughs> look. Um, first of all, Laura, what'd you think about Bonnie? And what'd you think about just sort of what her experience was like going back to that place? Well, I thought it was, you know, when at one point, Amanda, I was reaching out to the people that had been victims. And it was curious, who's going to come forward? I think Bonnie was very... She was very relatable to listen to. Like you could really feel for what she went through and also see how going on this journey was something that, you know, I think she was going to find some sort of hopefully closure or at least some healing from going on this. But that trip back, it was really 
fascinating to go back to that town. And what I thought was super interesting about that period, obviously you have Amanda and Bonnie going back, and then you have this couple who are sitting on the world's largest couch, and they're also recounting something that I found fascinating about how they were able to piece together how this guy landed at their chiropractic office after having some allegations in another location. And I I loved how the wife kept piping up and wanting to share details. And then the husband would be like, ah, like he didn't want her, but she was just like, nope, that's how it happened. You mean that insolent woman? Yes. um, I, I have to say, there's a lot of times where you see things in this and you're like, I can't believe somebody let this happen. I can't believe somebody got away with this. But for that couple to recognize that something wasn't right with this guy, to do the research to try to figure out what's going on, and then to go through the process of firing him, I thought was pretty remarkable because, you know, we hear so many stories where people just keep getting passed on and like there are no consequences or people just don't even admit what was happening. And so I thought that was pretty remarkable. At that time period in history, they actually, I mean, I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. Like we never hear of stories where something like this gets nipped in the bud at this. Like usually it was just like, oh, 50 years later, we find out what was happening and nobody ever did anything about it. You know what I mean? Toby thoughts? I had absolutely the opposite reaction, Oh, okay. which is I thought they were horrible. Uh, I'm like, you know, this is happening in your fucking offices. Like mm-hmm. the idea that you didn't kick him out like immediately. But they did. They got him I, fired. I mean, they did. I, I was more perturbed by her visit there and that guy lecturing her about how she has to forgive him. Not him, but but uh, grandpa that that's what Jesus wants. And then they make her pray with them. And then he freaking touches her head. And I don't like yell at the TV, but inside I'm like, what the fuck is like, do not touch her head. And then he did. And he did. And it's just the role that religion plays in this fucking documentary is absolutely insane. I could not believe it. That Tell me more. Well, I think the sub theme to all this is how religion really helps these people get away with things because everything's about fucking forgiveness. And, you know, grandpa thinks he's going to be forgiven. Like God forgives everybody. So I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be walking next to you. Like the, the people whose property on which this woman who as a child was sexually assaulted are like, you have to forgive. It's all this stuff about fucking forgiveness. There's nothing about accountability. It's all, Victims have to be big enough to forgive the people who transgress against them. And it's like, well, yeah, well, she was six at the time and he was like 45 or something. Like, it doesn't seem like it's a situation where the onus is on her to forgive him. Like, that's just ridiculous. It's God's love. It allows us to forgive and helps us to forgive those that have abused us. I think that's what I struggle with is thinking that if I'm going to forgive someone that no, I'm not going to forget. And no, I'm not going to just immediately let it go. And and they talk about at the beginning how they were like, quote unquote, the perfect Christian family and sort of ironically and talk about dysfunction and no communication being sort of the hallmarks of that. And so I thought through the whole thing and I thought maybe that was kind of the look that she was giving in that scene that Rebecca referred to is just like, it's not doing anybody any good. It's just helping this stuff perpetuate. It's helping people 
sort of rid themselves of guilt they might have for having, whether knowingly or not knowingly, sort of helped provide the context in which this guy committed those crimes. I mean, it's just like sort of cross the board, absolving people of their guilt through religion. And it it was just mind-bogglingly frustrating and infuriating to watch these people sort of solemnly say these things. And it's like, fuck that. This guy is a serial sexual predator. And you're asking this woman to forgive him. And that's because that's what Jesus wants him to do. And he's still doing it. Yeah. He's still fucking doing it. Even when he's addled. This is the thing that was insane to me. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it would have been okay if he had like grown out of it and he's an old man and he's kind now. It wouldn't have been okay. It would have still been horrible. He's still fucking doing it as an old. He sexually harasses the goddamn producer of the documentary who's behind the camera. Yeah, that was crazy. Can you talk about that, Kevin? Sure. Like for any viewer who hasn't seen this yet, any listener out there who hasn't seen this yet, can you just describe that scene and how it made you feel? Sure. Just can I just say one thing about the prayer though, real quick before sure. I move on? A courtesy is a thing that you do for somebody else, for the other person in the room, and not for yourself. And I feel like prayer is important to the herds. And if something had happened to them and I was there, I would pray with them because that's a courtesy to them. And that is not what Bonnie needed or wanted. So there's kind of a tone deafness there that that prayer, that stuff was for them. And as you say, it's part of an effort to forgive. And so by forgiving Bill, you'd be forgiving the herds. So, you know, you guys are all right about that. Um, So what we end up seeing is, you know, throughout the documentary, I'm kind of wondering because Amanda's the photojournalist, but someone's filming this. I'm like, I wonder who that other person is. And it's like, okay, we'll probably, we'll just never see them. And it isn't until sort of the splits, we're at that janky motel slash uh, and remind us why Bill's at the motel. Right. He gets kicked out of the, the nice living center because he was accused of touching, I two guess, kids. two kids or fooling. I Trying forget, to or touching. I forget what the language that was used, but it's a euphemism. Anyway, the place he's sent to looks like a motel, but it's assisted living. And this is where they've come to finally confront their grandfather and father. Right. And we've never seen the person behind the camera, but something happens where like kind of spin and we get to see, I think they, they move the camera. So just sort of an incidental, we see who it is. Apparently it's a young woman, blonde. She looks, she looks beautiful. I think it was really quick. You just got a sense of who it was. Yeah, right? and, and they want to be alone. So they want to be alone. She's walking away. She's got to leave. And so then he starts yelling to her that he wants her to stay. I'm going to go to the car. It was very nice to meet you. Oh, it's a pleasure. You're absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Thank you. So I thank you. <laughs> I'm right. blessed to have you down here. Bye. Where are you going? She's, She's like, going wait, to the car. Yeah, we she, have to talk no, to you about something. No, come on back here. No, Dad, it's okay. all right. It's all right. And like as if you didn't have to be reminded about the reason why he's there, not the other place. It just really was like a lot of things that happened with him. Very unsettling because you see him like demand that she comes back and just so that he she can be near him and, and, you know, whatever the hell he wants to do with that. But I also kind of saw like this is the same guy that manipulated can force kids to do things. It's it was that, you know, that voice, you know, that monster is like, oh, wow. We just, he just revealed himself there and just kind of mixed in with everything else. I thought that little thing was really revealing. 
Yeah, it was like as you wrote in your notes, a fucking jump scare. It was a jump scare, exactly. It was like it was like it was like he was like, "Get back here! You're so pretty. I wanted to have more time to get to know Ugh. you. I wanted you to like." No. There were. I am not kidding you. So many times in this documentary, where I feel like I wanted to vomit. Like that was one of those times. It was unbelievably visceral, uh, and and gross. And then. <laughs> After he dies and they're so happy that he's dead and I'm like so relieved and happy that he's dead and they're going through his clothes <laughs> and Amanda finds the coat that she like is like, I kind of like this coat. Is it okay that I, I like this coat? And, uh, and her mom's like, it's just a coat. And I'm like, keep the fucking coat, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, get what you can get out of this situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, why not? Can we... uh can we talk about his videos? Oh, when he was a traveling salesman? Right. So he and his wife were going around to these like trade shows and they were selling, I don't even remember what, but it's just the most ridiculous thing you can imagine. Like Amway situation or whatever. Yeah. But he's walking around with a video recorder, just like recording kids. Like he's just zooming in on kids at these things. And- you know, some parents are like, oh, you know, small for the kid. And other parents are like, you know, turn that fucking thing around. And he's also taking pictures of, of other people. And it's clear that a lot of people are creeped out. Like they do show like the reaction of people who are like putting their hands over their face or kind of kind of blocking them off from their kids. But that to me was pretty freaking unsettling because it just kind of seemed like you had like a peek at his psyche because you're basically walking around this hall and you're sort of forced to focus on what he's focusing on. And the result is really, it's unsettling. It's it's just 100% unsettling. And then you try and sort of extrapolate to like growing up as the daughter of this man and having this be your life over, you know, living there for 18, 20 years and then relating to him from then on. I I just thought that was, it it was an amazing little passage. Yeah. You know what I thought was so amazing about that, Toby, is that the way they set it up is they're already using this, this home video as like B-roll and you're hearing some people talking and then all of a sudden you don't even realize it until the audio stops and it's just music is that when they're just cutting different things and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, they've been cutting in clips of different people, then, but then children and then another child. And you realize, oh shit, I didn't even realize what I was looking at. He just makes it seem like he's very innocently taking videos of people all around. And you realize that what he has been doing is he's been targeting children with his camera. But you're like, you are already halfway through it before you realize, oh my God, what have I been watching? Yeah. You're thinking, great. She has a video of this part of the story that she's telling. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Um, I One final thing, Laura Bricker. Mm-hmm. What does it say about a man when he won't call his wife by her actual name? He gives her a whole brand new name. What is her name? Celesta. And he calls her Lois. Yeah. That to me was really something because I think that just showed the level of disrespect that he had for her, which I think really stood out to me because of the way that she basically covered up for him his entire life, but he couldn't even call her the fucking right name. Like that, that right there just cements everything that you think about that guy. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. 
Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Great Photo, Lovely Life? It's a documentary film on HBO Max. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Great Photo, Lovely Life. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, This is a big thumbs up for me. This is a little bit of a spoiler. One of the best things I think we've watched all year. As somebody that works in the criminal justice world and is familiar with these sort of cases and these sort of situations, I think that this documentary brought to life so much of the entire story that happens when things like this are happening within the family, the community, the lasting effects, but also just in Amanda as the documentarian here, having the bravery and the courage. I know I just used two words that meant exactly the same thing, but like that's what comes to mind when I think of her to go back and confront him and make this documentary. And basically, in doing so, having her whole family involved in talking about something that they have never talked about is really remarkable. So this is a big thumbs up for me. It is heavy watching, but it is just so well done. So big thumbs up. Tell me, Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Great Photo, Lovely Life? Yeah, I agree in that this is this is a great documentary. I think it probably should come with a pretty heavy uh, trigger warning because I think it's very insightful about kind of the the family trauma that comes along with this kind of child sexual abuse. So that being said, yeah, I, I just I kind of felt like it's put together with a lot of insight. It doesn't need to preach to you because it just there's just so many moments that it has on video that are just so alarming. And it's not just alarming with what you're seeing, but as being just a moment in time of somebody's like 80 years or however long this guy was on earth. I mean, I I can't say enough good things. I think, I I think it's just really, it's really well judged. And I think the stuff they, they chose to include, I think there's a lot of little sort of implications and and things that you can kind of take in that they, they sort of point to, including one, which I think is, is, is a fairly major sort of underlying theme to all this. So yeah, with the caveat that it's the trouble with these things is like the better it is and the more insightful it is, the more triggering it probably is for people who've experienced it because it seems as though it's being very sort of truthful and understanding of what the deal is. But if that doesn't, like give you pause, like a hundred percent watch it. It's, it's a great, great documentary. Kevin Flint. Yeah. I just uh, put together my top 10 list and like, well, just one more to go and then fuck, I got to go rework it. Uh, this is an incredible documentary. Hard to watch. Absolutely. You will a hundred percent be triggered. Even if this isn't your lived experience and these things don't typically bother you or stay with you. This absolutely will. And the one of the reasons is that it just demonstrates a person's casual monstrosity. It's just so troubling in the sense that it sort of defies our expectations a bit about who a predator is and what happens to them and what your responsibility is if you're related to them. Are you supposed to atone? Are you supposed to achieve your own kind of peace? It brings up so many things. But it is definitely a conversation 
continuer. I won't say a conversation starter because it's a conversation that needs to continue. And uh, Amanda is incredibly brave for deciding, A, that she wanted to take it upon herself to do something and record it and share it with us. It's a gift. I Before this documentary watching this, my hands-down favorite doc we've watched in the last several years was Murder on Middle Beach, period. Because that is about a person telling a story about their own family from his point of view, trying to solve the murder of his own mother. And he tears his own family like a little bit into pieces doing it. And it's like brutal and great and so artful. This is like that times five. Like it is so beautifully made. This is my lived experience. So like I was like, there were times I wanted to vomit a little bit. There's times I was definitely crying a lot. But I will say for everything that Toby and Kevin said about difficult, brutal, whatever, this is fucking riveting. Like every single time I left the room to get a drink or whatever, mm-hmm. I was like, pause, pause, pause. Like you want to watch this. It is well made. It is good. It is like, it's entertaining. Like you want to watch every fucking minute of this. It is so beautifully made. There isn't a scene of this that you want to miss. It's like the the deepest dive into family dysfunction that you've ever seen. And even if your particular family dysfunction has nothing to do with sexual abuse or generational trauma, and it just has to do with the fact that like you can't have a conversation with your mom or sister without it getting derailed and weird, like you'll find something in this documentary that is riveting. I promise. It's just beautiful. And I I just can't believe there isn't more content that's being made constantly about this subject. And this is the best of its kind that I have ever seen. So yeah, it's my favorite documentary in years, period. So yeah, huge, huge thumbs up for me for Great Photo, Lovely Life. And by the way, fantastic title. The title flashes by very, very quickly in the doc. And I was like, perfect title for this film. Perfect title. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, Do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. So there's two videos that I have been watching on repeat this holiday season. What are those? Is one of them Rudolph? No. The first is that little kid who is door holder number three (sighs) in the live nativity. Yes. And that is like... My favorite video. No small parts, love- Laura. What no is small that? parts. No- what is that? You not seen this? No. Oh my God, Rebecca, it's the best thing. Like I watch it sometimes I'm having a bad day and I'm like, I'm gonna go watch door holder number three again. Well, the other video that I can't get enough of was posted in the official Crime Writers on Podcast discussion group by Suzanne Atwell Keister. And Suzanne says, I'm so excited to have a cat of the week nomination for the first time. It's the absolute beast of a cat who was menacing a fox in our backyard. She looked out the window, saw the cat sitting stock still, started to bang on the window, and then saw what it was looking at. It was a fox. But then it is amazing. The cat starts chasing the fox around the yard. And I it's saw like that. They're playing. But the cat was just like its tail was all fluffed up. And it wasn't like it was, it was like, wee. And then the fox is finally like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And then it like <laughs> trots off to the side. So that was a fantastic video. Thank you, Suzanne, for sending that in. It was just such a nice break. And if y'all are having a hard day at work, just go in the group, 
look up that video and watch it and your day will instantly be better. I will say it was a very Kevin Flynn move to look out the window, see a cat sitting on a rock and bang on the window to try to get rid of the cat. <laughs> very, very Kevin Flynn move. All right. But you guys had a cat that used to like show up in your yard. I that, love that, that cat. Like, Big orange. Yeah. Big yeah. orange. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and see the videos that you retweet or repost online, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker and I'll go post door holder number three in the Crime Matters on Discussion group because it is just a fantastic video. Please do it. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you online and see photos or videos of Wallace, the new cat in your life. How can they find you? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. Well, you can find me and my dogs and everything else I like to post on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show everywhere at Crime Writers On. That includes Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. And please, I encourage you to join our incredible community and our amazing Facebook group. It's really great. Just find us on Facebook. There's a pinned post there about how to join the group. If you know any of our names, literally, that's the bar. We will let you in. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get all the other stuff we make back there. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our editor is the incredible Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where I also pretend the coat I love didn't used to belong to the person it actually belonged to. On behalf Buttons of all, are on the wrong side. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Okay, Rebecca, and we're in the after show. I'm going to play you this video. It's like literally the best thing that I've ever seen. I can't see a video on Zoom. I'm going to I'm going to play it for you. It's a classic car. Yeah. Okay. Um you tell me then cuz I'm door holder number 3. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um probably um Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? And I was like I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. Yeah. I'll have to wear like brown. Really? Yeah, probably. Excellent. I'm swell. That's really smart, Milo. Get in. Let's go. Isn't that the best thing? I'll have to wear brown. Yeah. I just love that kid. So there you go, Rebecca. That's my holiday video for you. Or as John Irving wrote about the nativity play that Owen Meaning was in. The uh, dingy brown robe is the biblical equivalent of the three-piece suit. (laughs) (laughs) Partners in Crime Media. Media.